In today's episode, we're talking with Chris Kayer about solving the unsolvable and networking when live events dry up. You definitely don't want to miss this one, so don't you change that dollar, drop that phone. We're about to level it up and shatter the mold. Question. In a world where groupthink is the norm, others want what you've earned, and thinking for yourself will get a target painted on your back, how do you flip the script and level up your business, your money, relationships, your health, your status, and your life? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and it's time to shatter the mold. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Shatter the Mold. Andrew S. Kaplan, really excited to be here with you today. We've got a really awesome, really interesting guest for today's featured interview. But before we get there, a quick update on the last Law of Attraction book you'll ever need to read. After being featured in Yahoo and USA Today and Forbes, uh, it continues to do well on the charts, continues to get five-star rave reviews, continues to be a number one bestseller in multiple categories on Amazon. And that is all thanks to you, the reader, you, the person who's picked it up and who's told your friends. So thank you so, so much for your continued support. And mostly thanks to all the people that also email me, letting me know how much they're liking the book and how they're using the content their advantage. And if you've not checked out the book yet, you can just easily feel free to go to lastlawofattractionbook.com, which will auto-forward you over to the Amazon listing, where you can get it in Kindle or paperback or in audiobook if you prefer that format. And of course, if you don't want to pull out your wallet, I've got an answer for you there too. You can go to youtube.com slash Cap. Check out the free content devoted to the book. I teach new methods. I feature Law of Attraction experts. And I have a few other fun surprises there for you as well. But with that said, let's get straight to today's guest. In fact, I'm going to switch up mics right now and we're going to have our conversation with Chris. All right, so I'm really pumped for today's awesome guest. Chris Kayer is a competitive intelligence specialist that helps people, organizations, and governments see and solve problems or find and exploit opportunities that they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Solving the unsolvable is pretty much his jam, and whether it's helping to solve and prevent crimes or whether it's helping a small business change its trajectory forever, it's basically not over until Chris Kayer and his team fix it. That's how diligent they are. That's pretty much their attitude on how they go about things. And I'm sure we're going to learn a lot more about Chris as we go into this. So without any further ado, Shatter the Mold warmly welcomes Mr. Chris Kayer. Chris, thank you so much for being here, my friend, and welcome to Shatter the Mold. Hello, hello. Great to be here. I appreciate the, the opportunity to just bend your ear a little bit. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm excited for this also. And, you know, one thing I left out of your, your intro, I just wanted to talk to you about first, is you've got the Professional Speakers Radio Show. Um, among others. So like what basically got you on that path where you're actually going down that road of sharing on, on radio as well? So long, 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 long time ago, I had an ad, ad agency in Ottawa, Canada, and I had uh, a variety of clients who needed the opportunity to be on radio to talk to their audiences and get leads that way. So I put them on a show called Experts on Call. And sadly, they sucked. So badly that the station manager called me up and said, look, you got to rescue these people. you got to go on air with them. I said, but you already have a host who's supposed to do that. Yeah, he, he's not able to do that. You have to come on air and, and do that for them. Like, how would you know if I've got any radio chops or not? <laughs> I don't care. Just get down here. you got to save your people. Okay. So that turned into a four-and-a-half-year stint um, involuntarily of getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning every Saturday morning to mm. go co-host a radio show. And so it's all about leading experts into an opportunity where they could showcase what they were best at without the fear of judgment while they paused and put their thoughts together. 
I could bullshit Baffles' brains for that kind of two-minute window while they're really putting their brains in gear to answer what the question is. And that kind of gave everybody the space they needed to be their best. Fast forward um, many years later, I wind up in Arizona, and I'm doing ghostwriting for gurus, among other things. And the gurus start to ask me about radio. So I look into it, and I find lots of different opportunities for them and whatnot. Um, but one of the things that I found lacking were really thoughtful shows about the gurus themselves, right? And, and the, the subject matters that made them the experts. We have lots and lots of media out there where it's all editorial. But if you look at who the experts are, no one can name them anymore. But when we were kids, right, um, there were only three channels. At least when I was a kid, there were only three channels. Right. Yep. And so ABC News, NBC, CBS, whoever they brought on to be the expert was the expert. There were only two names in each industry that they would bring on, and they would duke it out in the live debates. Now we have thousands of channels, and it's never the same people. It's never based on qualifications alone. It's based on opinions and, and whatnot. Does it support the opinion of? And so it's all biased nonsense, and you can't name them anymore. But back in the day, the people who were the experts, those were the people who ran university departments because the university got their grants based on having the very best in the world leading them. Mm -hmm. So you know if you wanted to be a um, astrophysicist, there were only two universities that you really wanted to go to because that's where the top two people in the world were. If you went to any other university, you may get get a degree in it, but you didn't get trained by the best. Right. And so now who who could we name? Pick the industry that is the actual expert that you can go to and say, what what do we do? We we don't know those names. So my thought was if I bring back a station and shows that showcase this stuff, now instead of talking heads, we have people who actually know what the hell they're talking about talking to each other about what they know about. And that makes all the difference in the world. Right. So it's about raising the standard of the conversation while simultaneously through that raising, giving people the environment where they're rewarded for contributing to the conversation. That's right. And it, it stops being about opinions. It starts really being about people who know their content, sharing almost out of a desperation with audiences who are equally desperate to inhale real content mm. it is such a dramatic change in philosophy that even if it's a half-assed show you still get a really good conversation out of it and people do engage because this is something they can get passionate about yeah yeah you've got people that are really intent on being there to talk and on the other side of the microphone or the other side of the, the broadcast people that are really intent on listening where they're gleaning a lot more value Got it. Got it. All right. So, so this is, you know, our, our equation right now, basically an equation of value. It's a fair way to put that, right? Yeah, exactly. Now you've got the, <clears throat> excuse me, you've got like a background here though. I don't know if we call it, um, we'll, we'll say what, you know, it says in the, uh, in the bio can competitive intelligence specialist, where does that come into like, what is that specifically for people that might be wondering and sure. where, if anywhere, does that come into play to what you're doing with this? So, the, the challenge for competitive intelligence specialists is that as an industry, it's been obliterated. In the late 90s, the, the whole industry got wiped out. So nobody knows what the hell I do. It's, it's, a, it's a given. But 
realistically, I'm the guy who goes and sees a problem or a pattern or an opportunity long before it ever happens. And I go to a company or a client and say, this problem or opportunity is going to hit you or your industry in the face. How would you like to handle it? Would you like me to handle it for you? Or do you like it to be a surprise? Take mm. your pick. <laughs> now, sadly, most of the time they, they would rather have the surprise because there's a, a question of leadership. If somebody else is pulling the strings and, and, and navigating the, the rough waters, there's a sense that perhaps the person who's the leader isn't qualified for the job. Mm. Right. And that's not true. They hired a specialist to get them through special circumstances. Yeah. Anybody with a brain would do that. You know, if you're not gifted at plumbing and your plumbing is about to, to have a big kerfuffle, you don't go roll up your sleeves and try and do it yourself. You hire a plumber. And I imagine it's also harder because if you do what you're supposed to do and there's never a plumbing issue after all because you fixed it, people are like, why did you hire this person? That was never a problem. Y2K. Yeah. It's just like Y2K. Mm. Because it got solved, oh, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Right, if it right. didn't get solved... <laughs> there, there's more justification different. in the cleanup than in preventing the cleanup yeah right right so is that a challenge in terms of selling yourself or is that a Absolutely. challenge in terms of they want you but they have to sell themselves internally on on bringing you in no it, it's a, a whole conceptual challenge hmm. that they, they, they don't want that kind of help they would rather hit the iceberg and clean it up later because then they can say they were at the helm well, if that means you go down with a ship, well, that changed, right? So in the last 20 years also, the compensation packages have changed. So if the company goes under, they get paid first. Mm. That's not going down with a ship. Yeah. That's it's... pulling the ripcord on, on, on the, the plane that's going down. You're fine, Captain There's Parachute. no incentive to save the ship. That's right. Got it. Got it. <laughs> so if I'm understanding correctly... You are, well, you know, you're connecting with people, you're networking, you're positioning yourself as someone that understands this so that these conversations are easier when they had to be had. Is that a fair way of putting it? I used to do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, but I learned that rather than fishing in waters where the fish don't like the bait, right? If I change the bait entirely and I catch other fish that those fish eat, I don't really have to explain what I sell at all. Mm. They're already going to bite what is coming to, to eat what I'm feeding, right? So I can create whole industries and spin them off, but they're the ones that automatically fix what the other people need fixed. Mm. And they see it in an applied way rather than a theoretical way. Very interesting. Okay. And and if I'm understanding right, it's like you're putting it in um in a format that it's a lot more palatable for them mm -hmm. based on their ego, based on the risks of their industry, based on how they look when they get help, based on what that help is supposed to be. You're making it, you're understanding and reading the room and that they're not going to take this old school way. So you're making it more palatable so that when they find you, it's the next sensible step to come and get you at that point. Exactly. Mm, love it. So this is all, I mean, a lot of this, it sounds like it's, it's human psychology and just mm -hmm. understanding the way people, not only the way people operate in terms of a, a long view of just the way we are as human beings, but also how we're operating in the context of evolving technology 
and evolving sociology and evolving politics and and pretty much everything in between with uh with just how much this world is accelerating in terms of whether it's social media or whether it's um anything else related to that absolutely Uh, and just to give you an example of of how that's literally played out 1993-94 i was asked to write some articles for office depot that then got into i think forbes and inc and, and other magazines and the articles were on the subject of distributed knowledge, the distributed knowledge economy. If you remember back at that time, Hillary Clinton and the, the whole world was all kerfuffled about the knowledge-based economy, mm-hmm. where people then went and got their masters and PhDs because they were going to be the experts and everything in society was going to be expert-driven. So companies hired hundreds of thousands of masters and PhD grads at massive salaries. Just off that piece of paper. Yeah. Well, no, not, not off mine. That's uh, off the, the knowledge-based economy philosophy. Yeah. Then they realized they couldn't afford hundreds of thousands of PhDs <laughs> at six- and seven-figure salaries. No matter how good they were, they couldn't afford them. Mm. And so they went out of business. Some, some really big ones. Um, uh, Nortel was a, a huge one in Canada and in, I think, Winston-Salem. Um, gutted that whole region. Uh, the airport that uh, supported that city, poof basically disappeared for for quite a few years because there's no traffic anymore but at one point it was an airline hub it was that much traffic Mm. so these are are not little impacts these are game changers for whole economic regions well at the time i looked at that and said that's great you have hundreds of thousands of medical professionals who are not working in the capacity of providing medicine they're in administration you have hundreds of thousands of people who have advanced degrees who are literally working for minimum wage or uh, restaurants or whatnot because they can't get work in their fields. You have hundreds of thousands of people who do have work in their fields, but they're unsatisfied because it's not about their field. It's about the corporate policy and and what that needs to to be to to function in that, that structure. By the time you look at all these people who are unsatisfied and unable to really cut loose and do what they got to do, the problem becomes obvious these 30 years later. You have a whole bunch of people who are being paid not what they're worth because the companies can't afford it, but they can't not have that expertise either. Mm -hmm. So instead of hiring them on full time, if those people separated from the companies and contracted to those companies on a part-time basis, but they contracted to six companies, well, now they're making three times what they were going to make otherwise, and the companies get the talent they're looking for mm-hmm. when they need it. But to right. do that, the people who became the experts now need to also become fluent in entrepreneurship. And nobody, but nobody in the last 30 years, other than me, has been screaming about the knowledge-based economy requiring these experts to get trained in entrepreneurship because it's inevitable that's where they have to go. Yeah, because all of a sudden, it's like they, for all of them forget what they're worth, they they basically have to treat themselves and their level of expertise like a business. It's like a product Mm -hmm. or service that they're selling. It has to be, and it has to be distributable because Mm -hmm. they can't be full-time for six different companies. Right, right. And even the people working under them can't take that person's expertise and give it to six companies. So they have to capsulize their knowledge and distribute it in ways that are still effective for the companies, 
but are replicatable mm-hmm. and scalable. No one taught these people how to do that. Right, right. There's no support structure in there to, to convert an expert engineer into an expert entrepreneur. So is this part of your business? Like part of what you do is you help people with the sales skills, the psychology skills, and really the, the skills to package themselves, again, to use this, the word again, in a, in a palatable way, in an yeah. appealing way, so that people will hire them, they'll pay them their worth, but they won't feel like it's, they won't feel like they're getting uh, the short end of the stick, therefore they'll maintain the relationship. And likewise, the, the clients get the value out of it without paying more than they can afford. Mm, got it. Right? So it's sustainable, it's supportable. It's scalable over time. And it's all about the business model. Well, before it was about that the, the concept was about the knowledge and the, the ability to innovate based on the, the knowledge would accelerate our innovation. That was the, the idea behind the knowledge-based economy. But they never once thought about the business model that would have to happen to support that. Mm-hmm. That's the, the, the kind of approach that I take. And that was 30 years ago. And wouldn't you know it, that's what's happening large scale in, in the pandemic. The pandemic accelerated it as hundreds of thousands of people left the employers to go start their own businesses. Yeah. And they they don't have the luxury of, of building up capital beforehand yeah. they haven't built up their finances. So it's it's like sink or swim on many levels right now for them. And it's instant. You're mm-hmm. you're right in it. Right. Now we were talking before we hit the record button, we were just kind of like shooting the breeze and um you were telling me about like a, a networking event that you've got coming up. Yeah. Am I correct? Sort of like this event, this is what this is about. This is about like taking these types of people and matching them with people. Is that what it's, it really does? Sort of. So I don't know how much networking you did before the pandemic in, in live in-person stuff, but mm. every city had half a dozen chambers and every chamber had a breakfast meeting in a different part of the city every morning. And they had a luncheon meeting and then they had the after hours meetings and whatnot. And now there are very few of them. Half the chambers, chambers have just rolled up their, their uh, shingles because there's literally nowhere for them to send people. Mm. There's no networking for them to, to do except manual. Hey, I need to find somebody in this. Who do you recommend? That's not what the chambers were designed to do. So they can't handle those things. And so there are very few live in-person events. The online ones are mostly Zoom calls. And there, there's a, a term, a, a snooze fest, a Zoom fest, um, and people are getting really tired of Zoom all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, we happen to invest in an organization that um, has developed a platform that is much more like going to an actual trade show or conference hall. It's virtual, but it's like you're at a conference hall. And right. so if you want to go check out the, the trade show booths, they're booths with vendors, and you can go talk to uh, the sales reps, see what they've got to offer, and it's like going to a bazaar, right? Then there are uh, session rooms where you get to listen to speakers on whatever topic. Next week, it's about automation in your business. So we've got three speakers who are just going to knock your socks off. I might even throw in my two cents there as well. So mm-hmm. you've, you've got some good content there that is just raw, useful content for any business, period, flat out doesn't matter if it's a Fortune 50 or a Fortune 5 million. doesn't matter. Then before and after the, the event, we actually have this area called a social lounge. And the social lounge breaks up into tables of four to eight, depending on the, the size of the crowd. Those tables are virtual, but you sit down and it's a small group of people 
just like you'd have at a, a networking event, a live networking event. And you can meet four, five, six, seven other people. After you've done that a few times, then we also have an opportunity for you to actually collect referrals, direct referrals to prospects, to employees, or to suppliers. Whatever you're looking for, you build the archetype, you ask the question, who do you know that is or does X? And everybody at every table starts sending you those leads. Mm -hmm. So you can leave there with 35 to 100 leads like that. Wow. Wow. Cool. So what I'm hearing here is basically you've noticed based on everything going on with the pandemic, <clears throat> you've got people that they, their skill set in terms of selling themselves to whatever measure it is, it's within this format of chambers, but that's not available to us anymore. Therefore, you've constructed as close as possible a virtual chambers, along with other yeah. things that kind of that match up as closely as possible to the way they would engage. And if I'm not misunderstanding, you're also helping them along too, giving them a little extra sales insight, giving them a little extra in terms of uh, education on, you know, whether they were using it in person or virtually, how they can take advantage of that. Is that a fair way of putting what you've done here? Absolutely. And it gives cool. them the opportunity to meet other people in a, uh, an environment where, you know, LinkedIn just isn't enough, right? You, you can't just Facebook your way into meeting all these people without an awful lot more work. Yeah, especially when right. everyone's on LinkedIn, everyone's on yeah. Facebook. This is about finding something really like not everyone's going <laughs> into chambers at that point. Yeah. It's about doing it in that way. <clears throat> now, um, you could probably tell the way I'm, I'm kind of like picking and prodding. I want my, I want my audience to hear this idea and how you're breaking it down just cause I'm hoping, I mean, first of all, some of them might be into this and might want to reach out, but others, hopefully they'll be inspired by this. They'll be inspired by the creativity and also the innovation. And the fact that you said, okay, put simply, how do I take something that works in the real world, but no longer has space in the real world in the current state of the world. And how do I replicate that and present that and provide that platform for people so that the people that are missing out now have a place to go. So not only you're bringing in business very well for yourself, but simultaneously you're giving those people their opportunity to bring in business the way they would have had that opportunity if the state of the world was 2019 rather than 2021. Exactly. And well, hopefully we're elevating it. So it's not just, I mean, a lot of the chamber meetings, let, let's be honest, rubber chicken dinners, I've had too many, mm -hmm. right? In this case, <laughs> nuke whatever you want or, or have it custom chef show up and, and do your dinner. No one cares. It's not a big deal. Eat, don't eat. You're on camera with however many people you want to be on. Mm -hmm. um, but more realistically, so many people, especially the extroverts, right? During the pandemic, the extroverts, which were a lot of the people went to all the networking events out there, they have been absolutely handcuffed and hamstrung. And the opportunity to see other human faces and hear other human voices and have conversations with them back and forth, not just watch them, you know, as a show on a screen. Right. That, yeah, let me go ahead and type in the chat box. Extroverts are not that keen on the, the, the typing in the chat box. Let me wait for, no, no. Patience is not their strong suit for stuff like that. Yeah. They want was, the they'd be in a different industry making more money anyway. Yeah. That they want the conversation and they haven't been able to have it. Hmm. They want to meet new people. Well, now you can. Now, you're not going to get to shake their hands. You're not going to be able to do the elbow thing, you know, none of that stuff. But I can tell you, you don't need your mask to attend, mm -hmm. right? So there are lots of things that you do get a benefit out of 
without having to give away any of the the other issues that become a problem. Right. Um, so we talked to literally three or four thousand people on LinkedIn and Facebook to get their opinions as to what they liked and didn't like about traditional networking. And one of the things that came up a lot, especially for women, was safety and security. All right. So when you go to a traditional networking event, there are a whole bunch of guys and gals there who are intimidating, who are making unwanted sexual advances, a whole pile of other stuff. Well, in this case, you literally leave the table, <laughs> go to the other one, and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. In the middle of it, you message one of us, that person goes poof, and that's not an issue anymore. Mm-hmm. Got it. There, there are so many things that we can do virtually that are a lot harder to do in person. Yeah, there, there's pros and cons to both things. And what you've done, therefore, is like, okay, how many pros can we throw in seeing as how this is our situation anyway? Yeah. Now, just to help my audience wrap their minds around this a little bit more, because I'm sure I'm crawling into their head a little bit and mm-hmm. you know, trying to ask the questions that they might ask. What are some easy, solid examples of the type of person or profession or type of vocation that's attending these things for, for a certain type of business? So normally for networking events, you're going to see salespeople and entrepreneurs. Now, locally in Phoenix, those would also include a disproportionate number of realtors and insurance uh, agents. Because it's and, local and it makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in Phoenix, we have gazillions of each of them. You could swing a dead cat and hit 20 of each. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's that that omnipresent. However, virtually, you're going to have quite a, a more varied experience. Um, and realtors and insurance agents are welcome. Same, same basic marketplace, just national for this particular uh, iteration. Um, but you'll also find people who are carpenters. You'll find people who are programmers and developers. You'll find people who are um, looking to climb a corporate ladder and they're looking for some, some other company they might want to jump to. You'll be finding people who uh, are inventors or are virtual assistants or are um, senior executives in different companies. Mm-hmm. And they're looking to make connections as to either generating sales, finding employees, or finding suppliers. Who can solve my problem? Right. And it's usually one of those three problems. So, and th- we have a situation where all these different people are going to the same event and, or mm-hmm. there's different events for different types of people or both. So we're building this event nationally for the next five or six weeks. And once we've established that it's working the way we want it to, and, and we've kind of worked out all the kinks and bugs, then we're going to be expanding it to six times a week mm. um, by region. So one national and then five regional ones. That way we can be a little more localized. You can get the realtors back in there, in other words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, more than that, we can provide um, uh, connectivity with the people who are closer to you. And for a lot of people, that makes a, a, a big difference, right? Mm-hmm. Getting national sales for a local handyman shop really doesn't, doesn't swing their, their, their monkey wrench a whole lot. Right. Um, so it's not as in, incentivized for them in a sense. Now, there are lots of reasons why they might do it anyway, but if they have the choice of a local or a national, the local is probably more their cup of tea. Other companies, especially now that the pandemic is up and everything is being ordered online, really, you don't care where the the company is because you can do business anywhere. Mm -hmm. Well, 
those companies are going to thrive at the national level. So once we get the national working the way we want it, then we can expand and we're really looking forward to being able to do um, really a big replacement for the breakfasts and the luncheons and the dinners. And we may even go up to 15 or 20 times a week, wow. depending on, on what kind of stuff we're, we're aiming for in the content delivery and what kind of partners we can generate to, um, to build value for the attendees. Very intriguing. So again, you can probably tell them I'm kind of prodding. I, I love that my audience is able to hear this perspective and this direction that you're going in. And I'll, I'll ask you in a minute about like a few more specifics, even like the date of this first one. Sure. As, as you get things going. But as we're speaking and as I'm peeling back the onion, the layers of the onion, so to speak, and asking questions, is there anything that I'm missing that you think should be kind of brought to the forefront about this process? Anything valuable that people should know or hear about how you're really implementing this and pulling this off? So I think there's some fun things. I mean, the platform, it, we picked a fun platform. It's a platform that has been tested with over a million attendees on it. Wow. So I know it's going to work. Wow. Okay. It, it, it's cool. Um, the, the next part really is more looking at the fact that the way our process works, we're building a scalable solution to a problem that no one predicted a year ago, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have a scalable solution that can help literally hundreds of thousands of businesses a day, a day, yeah, do things that they couldn't do before, or even if they could do before, it wasn't to the scale or to the, the impact that they can now have at our events with yeah. our particular version of, the, of a solution. There are lots of chambers that have gone online. Really mixed results. It depends on the character, you know, that the drivers and, and the ability to, to engage as a human character to bring those people to, to life and to bring the, the conversations to life. Mm. Now, I don't have to be more than who I am to have literally 100,000 companies playing footsie under the, the virtual table, <laughs> having fun, having a grand old time and learning a bunch of stuff and meeting each other and driving a whole economic revolution. Yeah. Yeah. In a matter of weeks. Very interesting. You know, you, you brought up the nineties before and I'm, I'm hesitant to say this because I don't know how many people actually get this reference, but to throw the nineties back in there or use an expression, this is kind of like the mother of all pivots. What yeah. we're talking about here. Yeah. Like you're, you're saying, okay, listen, <laughs> here's the way of the world right now. And even if we get back, this is an opportunity to create a new way of doing it that will still be viable even after we get back. That'll still be viable and have certain opportunities that that in-person even can't give you. So the, as long as we're doing this, let's go full tilt and really get as deep and as efficient and as innovative as we can in, in a way of like really offering a long-term solution that even 10 years from now is going to be viable. And that's kind of where my thought process is. Even let's just say magic wand happens and um, a new version of the vaccine obliterates the entire concept of COVID. COVID as a concept is done. Somebody's got the magic silver bullet and it's done. Sure. Let's, let's just assume that. And everybody wants to go back to in-person stuff. They're still going to do this because the opportunity here is way too big to ignore. Yeah. But we can do, on top of this, live in-person events as well. It doesn't stop us from doing both. Got it. 
but now we can leverage all the people who came to the big one or big ones and target specific areas with the data of knowing which cities have the most members, which cities have the most attendees. Mm-hmm. Well, now I don't have to do one in this city or that city because there's nobody there. <laughs> right? Now we know where it's going to be successful before we even put our first foot into the room. I love it. I love your, your mindset on how you're doing this. And, you know, I want to push myself to, to publish this episode in case there's people listening that right now that might want to get a use out of this. So what is like, you know, the day and the time and even the name of the event, like that people can learn about if they want to. Sure. So the website is bsrnradio.com. And we're definitely going to have an ad on there that you can't ignore. You can't miss. (laughs) And as you're going to that, just so my audience knows, I like to keep things convenient. I'm going to go ahead and put this link in the place where the audio interview will reside on shatteredamoldpodcast.com. And I'll put it in the YouTube description if people are watching it on video. So they'll know to go on that link and they'll, they'll see what's what, assuming they check it out before the event actually takes place. Exactly. So it's uh, on, on our, our uh, website, bsrnradio.com, there's a, a page for events. So this is not the only event we do. We do a whole pile of events. Cool. Um, and so the April 20th, the uh, time is uh, 5 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Um, Phoenix time or Arizona time, which is currently is the same as Pacific. Mm-hmm. So that would be 8 to 10.30 Eastern. Awesome. So, all right, good stuff. And I'll, again, I'll make sure to have that, that link waiting for people. So um, Quick question. I mean, is there, well, here's the, in addition to that, like, is that the best site to connect with you if people want to learn more about you or are there any other links you want to give anyone? Yeah, absolutely. We're rebuilding um, now 120 uh, plus sites. Um, so you will very soon see chriscare.com up and running. Uh, reactive.com is, is getting there. It's, it's almost ready to go. Um, so for those of you who don't know, my primary company is a reactive LLC. And it's my last name backwards with a few extra letters. So R-E-Y, active. Interesting. That I didn't know that's where that came from. Beautiful. All right. Awesome. So um, you've given so much value here, Chris. But often when I'm talking to someone that's really like on the ball with this stuff, I often like to ask, like, even based on where we've gone in this conversation and based on what you know, is there anything that you're inspired to share in terms of what you think is really solid business or marketing advice that people would be, you know, well, well served to listen to? So you and I had a great conversation a little while ago about um, the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. And much like the networking industry, the publishing industry has been a disaster from day one. And literally 600 years of nobody, but nobody thinking about how to sell books. The radio industry has been a disaster from day one because nobody thought of any other way of monetizing except through advertising. And so if you have to go sell advertising, you can't spend that time coming up with great content. You can't be in two places at once. Mm-hmm. So it has a very high failure rate for um, people who have content, but don't have the selling side, right? Because you can't afford it at the end of the day. If you're not making any money, it, it drops off or you lose your audience. Either way is not a, a successful plan. So whether it's radio, TV, um, books, magazines, what have you, there are massive failures, structural failures built into all of those industries that we're actively fixing, all of them. 
all of those industries I just mentioned, just like the, the chamber industry, we're looking at fixing all of those industries. Likewise, if you look at any industry, the same way I just kind of portioned out these other industries, you're going to see structural failures built into all of them. So if you're looking at that, you'll also see opportunities to radically transform your business. So if you look at your industry and say, what is totally messed up about this industry? What doesn't work? What has a 98% failure rate that intellectually should be a success rate every time? What, what's the dysfunction here? I promise you, you will find radical ways to reinvent, reposition, and deliver outstanding value in your industry. Hmm. Awesome. Last question for you, my friend. Um, I always like to give people this on the, on the way out. If there's any advice that you could have given to a younger version of yourself, whether it's 10 years, 15, 20, even 25 years, what would that advice be? Uh, funny, I, I just had a conversation with a friend and client of mine last night about some of those, those specific things because there's a book he's working on that we're going to publish for him um, on that kind of a subject. And I think one of the things that um, is really top of mind is how we internalize everything. Because inevitably we do. Our successes and our failures, we internalize them. And even branding them as successes or failures shades how we internalize them, right? The, the thought that we failed at something, we failed at a marriage, we failed at a relationship, we failed at a, a being a parent, we failed at being a kid, we failed at being a, a family member, we failed at a job, we failed at a whatever that failure is, we take that inside and we process it somehow. Sometimes we get really good stuff out of it. Sometimes we get really bad stuff out of it. Sometimes it's a, a hybrid. The advice that I'd give to my younger self would be to be a lot less judgmental and be a lot more curious about the fears and the successes. The judgment, that there are benefits out of it because it makes you harder, it makes you stronger. But at the same time, it also is the leading cause of PTSD. It's the leading cause of future failures in relationships and whatnot. Um, so if you can take that judgment out and be more authentic with the lessons you extract, extract from those big parts of your life, the pain is a lot less, the growth is a lot more, and the maturity that comes with it comes a lot faster. Hmm. So that would be my advice to my past self. Got it. Awesome. Well, Chris, this has been super interesting conversation. Very intriguing. Thank you for sharing this perspective and, and sharing your ideas about your business model and your philosophy on, on how you go about this. A lot of gold to deconstruct in the interview. So I really appreciate it, man. So thanks so much for being here, my friend. I'm, I'm really grateful. Thanks so much for having me. And of course, you're welcome back on any of our shows anytime. 
Thanks again, Chris, for that awesome, really interesting and insightful interview. I really appreciate it. Guys, I'm going to leave that link to check Chris out both in the YouTube description of this video or if you're checking this out in audio format, I'm going to leave it at shatterthemoldpodcast.com where this episode resides. And speaking of giving you links, if you haven't checked it out already, again, I welcome you to go to lastlawofattractionbook.com, which will forward to Amazon. You can check out my books listing there or you can go to youtube.com slash Cap. Check out the free content that I have devoted to it. And uh, with that said, again, we are very close to episode number 100 here. We're going to continue to pump out really awesome guests and really great episodes. And uh, just know that I got a lot of fun stuff for you on the way. With that said, stay tuned till next time, and I'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to Shatter the Mold at www.shatterthemoldpodcast.com. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and it's time to shatter the mold.